0: firm in faith, for God is with us. My wife and I are members here and uh, I serve as an elder and God has blessed us with four kids so many of you know that we took a trip back to the United States this summer and it has been a full trip for us uh, we were glad to be able to see our families in the US that we haven't been able to see for three years we're also relieved that we were able to return as planned so thank you, thank you to many of you that have been praying for us throughout um, to keep our path smooth, to keep our path safe. We were able to leave Shanghai smoothly at the end of the lockdown here. We were able to not get COVID in the US when a lot of our friends and family has gotten COVID. We were able to receive the Green Health Code to board the plane when we needed to come back. And thankfully quarantine in Shanghai was uh, changed to 10 days instead of 21 days by the time we got back. So it has all been God's gracious providence. And we mostly had peace about our trip because we knew that if God wanted us back, he would make a way for us to come back here. While we were back in the US, there was one time that I did not have peace. I was startled and I was scared, you know, scared for our personal safety. So we stayed with Anita's parents in Michigan for most of the time while we were in the U.S. You know, one night around 11 p.m., and all of a sudden we heard this uh, loud buzzing noise. You know, it was like wah, 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 and it was very distinct. You know, it's definitely not a sound of alarm, but I suppose somebody could have some alarm like that. But, you know, it sounded like a siren. It was very distinct. And so when we looked at the phone, you know, there was a message that said, Take immediate shelter, tornado warning. Apparently the radars have detected rotation and a tornado may develop and pass through our area in the next half an hour. And the message told us to move to an interior room on the lowest floor of a sturdy building and avoid windows. And I can tell you I had a jolt in my heart. You know, and we, we started to gather our kids. We, we were, you know, stay on the second floor and and we moved downstairs to take shelter. I don't know, have you had those moments when your heart just shook? You kind of jolted like when I read that message? Maybe it was news that your complex is being locked down again. Or maybe news that a loved one has serious disease. Or maybe being called into your boss's office and told that you're going to be out of a job. Maybe it is a warning from your teacher that you're likely to end up with a bad grade. Have you had those moments that caused your heart to skip? Something that started you or shake you to the core? Something that made you afraid and made you scared? But today we will study the book of Isaiah in chapter 7 and 8. In today's passage, Isaiah has a message from God to King Ahaz of Judah. And what happened was that Judah got news that their northern neighbors Syria and Israel were joining forces to invade Judah. The news caused King Ahaz and the heart of his people to shake, and they were scared and they were in distress. However, God's message through Isaiah to King Ahaz and to Judah was, Be firm in faith, for God is with us. And I believe his message to us today is still, Be firm in faith, for God is with us. So if you have your copy of the Bible, please turn there to Isaiah chapter 7, where you can also use what is printed in the bulletin to follow along. I will read and help us to understand the passage and make some applications as we go. But I will also highlight three truths or or principles that we should take away and remember for today. So let's start reading in Isaiah chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook, as trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shehra Jehob your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has divided evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up son of Tobel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin, and within sixty five years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is son of Ramalia. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Let's just take a pause here to understand this section. So the time is around 734 BC, in the day of Ahaz, it says in verse one there, when Ahaz was the king of Judah. This is during the time when the nation of Israel was split into the northern and the southern kingdom. The two kingdoms were called Israel and Judah. The Northern Kingdom had more tribes and retained the name Israel. It's also referred to as Ephraim, as we have read. And it was one of the tribes in the Northern Kingdom. The Southern Kingdom included the tribe of Judah and that's how it got its name uh, the Kingdom of Judah. So Ahaz was the king of Judah, the Southern Kingdom during this time. The house of David, which is mentioned there in verse two, is referring to King David and the subsequent king that ruled in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem during this time is part of Judah, so this is referring to King Ahaz being told the news that the two kingdoms north of Judah are planning to mount an attack. Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, and also Rezin, the king of Syria, are in a league, or it's another way to say that they have joined their forces together to wage war, against Judah. Verse 6, if you look there, says, They intend to terrify Judah and conquer it, setting up son of Tabeel as king to replace Ahaz. This probably means disposing or killing Ahaz. So that is bad news, right? And it is understandable that the hearts of Ahaz and the hearts of the people of Judah would shake in fear and in dread and in distress. Another thing I... I want us to know also from verse 1 is that Ahaz is a son of Jotham, who is the son of Uzziah. So if you were here the last time I preached, I preached on Isaiah chapter 6. and You might remember Isaiah was commissioned by the Lord to be his messenger to God's people the year King Uzziah died. So Uzziah is Ahaz's grandfather. Now this, according to the scholar, is about five or six years later. So actually Ahaz's father didn't reign very long. For these six years, you know, Isaiah had the difficult job of warning God's people, uh, judgment is coming for their disobedience. And all the while, knowing that um, people would not be receptive to this message yet. And finally, after six years, now God has a new message for him to deliver, to deliver to King Ahaz and a new assignment for him. And we know that you know, Isaiah has been doing his job and, he, and, and living his life because we also know that he has a family, right? Verse 3 says, God says, Take your son, share Jehob with you to meet Ahaz. So he has a son, and Isaiah is to take his son along on this new assignment. You know, sometimes I feel like we're still on our initial assignment, us as in WSBC, from God when COVID first hit. Two years ago and I felt like our assignment was just to continue our gathering being faithful to God's calling for believers to assemble and worship him whenever we can I mean life, life still happened along the way right you know, some of us lost jobs some of us got married some of us lost loved ones some of us had kids you know, maybe it's not time for the next assignment yet but for some of us, it is, right? Some of us were given new direction and moved away or, or maybe are not able to return. And we also have new people who came and joined us because, well, perhaps this is their new assignment, new task. I don't know if we will need to wait six years or, or perhaps even more before God gives us the next assignment or more assignments. But let's be faithful in keeping the one that he has already given us. You know, let us to continue to gather in person whenever we're able to. And I want to encourage you that being together worshiping God does give him great delight. And it gives God glory when we uh, meet together. So we can't, we can't go wrong by keeping, keep doing um, this even when we are unsure of what our next steps might be. So going back to Ahaz, what is the message that Isaiah has for Ahaz? The the message is that in verse 4, don't be afraid. The two kings, Rezan and the son of Ramalia, are are like two smoldering stumps. Smoldering means um, firewood that's about to go out, right? So no longer has fire. That they will eventually be put out and be extinguished. Verse 7 is even more explicit, saying that their plan to conquer Judah will not happen. It will not stand, it will not come to pass. In fact, in 65 years, verse 8 says, Israel will be shattered and not be a people anymore. So in history, in 722 BC, Israel was captured by Assyria, and by 671 BC, Assyria depart, uh, deported many Israelites, you know, putting them into exile and shattering them as a nation. For Ahaz, however, he, he doesn't know the future, so he needed to decide if you will believe in this message and trust God, or if you will not trust God. God, perhaps knowing that this message might be difficult for Ahaz to believe, so he reminded Ahaz in verse 8 and 9. He reminded him that the head of Syria and Ephraim are only human kings. And that's what those two verses mean, that Ahaz needs to have faith and believe in God's word. Not only that, If Ahaz does not stand firm in trusting God, he will not be firm at all, and it could be trouble for him and for the nation. So this is our first truth or principle for today. When our hearts shake, be firm in faith. When our hearts shake, be firm in faith. If you look there in the second half of verse 9, it says, If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You know, our hearts will be shaken. you know it is not if our hearts shake, be firm in faith. it's when our hearts shake, be firm in faith. In the Old Testament, distress and disaster often comes to God's people because they fail to keep their uh, their covenant with God. These distress and disaster for God's people was a part of God's judgment, and the purpose is to show that to show that God's people are not capable of keeping their end of the covenant. That they're needed a new covenant, which is based on Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, for us, with the new covenant based on Jesus, it is no longer dependent on God's people keeping our end of the covenant for God to fulfill his promise. So what's the purpose of distress and disaster for us in the New Testament now? It is no longer judgment, but instead it is training. It is training for us to work out our faith. The purpose of distress and disaster is to train us to grow our faith. It is to help us to be, quote-unquote, more firm in our faith. James 1 says, When you meet trials of various kinds, it is for the testing of your faith, to strengthen and be complete so that we are lacking in nothing. Again, we will face distress and we will face disasters the first principle for today is this when our hearts shake be firm in faith so let's continue to see how Ahaz responds to the Lord's message of being firm in faith so if you will follow me let's continue reading starting verse 10 again the Lord spoke to Ahaz he Said, as a sign of the Lord your God let it be deep as shield or high as heaven but he has said i will not ask and i will not put the lord to the test and he says Hear then o house david is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my god also therefore the lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the lamb whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So in verse 11, God spoke through Isaiah to Ahaz, and God tells him to ask for a sign to confirm God's promise that Syria and Israel will not conquer Judah. Now, at first reading, it seems like Ahaz is being humble and not wanting to put the Lord to the test. Right? Verse 12, Ahaz says, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now let me read from a different part of the Bible, from Second King 16, 7-8, and this is about Ahaz, so that we know what Ahaz actually did instead. So here from 2 Kings 16, 7 to 8. So Ahaz sent messengers to Taglas Pilsner, the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Assyria and from the hand of the king of Israel, who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasure of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. You see, Ahaz showed with his action that he didn't trust God. Instead of asking God for a sign to confirm God's promise, which the Lord told him to ask for, Ahaz rather asked the king of Assyria to rescue him. He rather trusts his own resources and abilities by sending gifts to king of Assyria for help. Maybe we need to examine ourselves if we have this kind of false humility. I know that sometimes I refuse help because of this false sense of humility and I don't want to moff ma- or hassle others. For example, many times when maybe both Anita and I have commitments and that's in conflict with taking care of kids, and I would normally say to Anita, don't ask other because I can just adjust my schedule. But in reality, I think it is showing that i rather trust my own resource and ability instead of asking God and asking others for help. What do you turn to when your heart shake? What do you rely on? I think these questions could be a good indicator for us. Who do we trust? So in verse 13, if we look there, Isaiah answered Ahaz. You know, he answered clearly frustrated that Ahaz not only causes weariness for men like him not trusting God, but even more so making God tired, tired of his people repeatedly not trusting, repeatedly not trusting the only being that is actually fully trustworthy. When Ahaz was shaken, he chose not to be firm in faith in his response to God. Ahaz chose to believe. In himself and go to other first, instead of believing God and asking Him first. As we continue following Ahaz's dialogue to God through, a, through Isaiah, you know, we get this incredible prophecy in verse thirteen, uh, in verse fourteen about the distant future, and this is distant future from Ahaz and from Isaiah during their time. In verse fourteen, God in His absolute Gracious nature offers a sign to him, anyways, even though he didn't ask. And here's the sign. It says the virgin, which is prophesizing about Jesus' Mother Mary, will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, as we have read from earlier, means God with us. So in Matthew 1:23 earlier. You know, the sign is actually applied to Jesus, which is literally God becoming man, God with us, Emmanuel. This sign is to show God is with his people and that his promise to restore his people will be fulfilled. This is supposed to remind Ahaz that God is there, that God is with Judah and his people, that he needs to have faith in God. But like many people in that day, and also still today, Ahaz did not believe God. Prophets like Isaiah prophesy about the near and also the distant future kind of all intermixed together, as we see there in verse 14 and 15 and onward. Now, they partially do this because if they are validated by their near-term prophecy coming true, you know, it would encourage their hearer to believe in the distant future future promise from God. So in verse 14 and 15 the sign of Emmanuel was a distant future to Ahaz and the people of Judah at the time. But as we go down into verse 16 you know Isaiah delivered a near term prophecy saying that before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The boy here is Isaiah referring to his son, this boy, Sher-Jeshub. You know, that is with him. Isaiah is most likely holding his son, still a baby, in his arm as he went to see King Ahaz. He is referring to Shear jeshub saying, before this boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, Syria and Israel will be deserted. So Isaiah's near-term prophecy from guys that in two to three years, Israel and Syria, the land whose two kings Ahaz dreaded, will be deserted, or you know, God will repel this attack of Judah. And verse 17 tells us that it will be the Syrian that repels Syria and Ju- and Israel from Judah. You know, however, we do see later on that the Syrian will actually ends up becoming a much worse disaster. For Judah, we'll skip over Isaiah 7, 18 to 25 this afternoon. It is where Isaiah describes how the advances of Syrian on uh, Syria and Israel will be like. I encourage you to read it a little bit later on, but we'll skip it here. So let's skip on to Isaiah chapter 8 to see how the Syrian also becomes a big problem for Judah because. Ahaz didn't trust God. Chapter 8, starting verse 1. Then the Lord said to me Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Mahar Sha'al Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of uh, Jeborakiah, uh, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahar-Sha'al-Hashbaz. For before the boys know how to cry, My father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the water of Shiloh that flows gently and rejoiced over resin and the son of Ramalia, Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And it will rise over its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you people, and be shattered. Give ear, all you. Far countries, strap on your armors and be shattered. Strap on your armors and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Let's uh, take a pause there again. So in order to affirm Isaiah and what God shared with Ahaz through Isaiah, now God speak to Isaiah directly. You know, verse one says, "The Lord says to me," you know, referring to Isaiah there. So Isaiah writes down on the iPad Pro, "Mahar Shael Hashbaz." For real, the Bible says the Lord told Isaiah to take a large tablet, right, and write on it. And I think iPad Pro is a large tablet, right? Okay, maybe it's a large stone tablet uh, to write on. Those four words. Those four words. Mahar um, Sha'al, Hashbaz, those four words means spoil, spee, pray, hasten. And actually the meaning is explained to us in verse 4. So if you look at the f- verse 4 there, it means the wealth or the spoil of Syria and Israel will be carried away by the Assyrians. You know, not only does Isaiah write it on a tablet, but God gives him a second son and tells Isaiah to name him Mahar, Shaal Hashbaz, as another sign that before his second son can say Dada or Mama, I don't know any kid that says my father, my mother, but maybe uh, older when they get older, as another sign that before his second son can say that, this prophecy will be fulfilled. Well, indeed, Syria fell to Assyria about a year after Isaiah's son, second son, was born. And this not only gave credibility to Isaiah as a prophet, but it is meant to encourage his people to believe and trust God. Verse 6, Isaiah is given more prophecy about what will happen. That because people refuse to trust God, God here is symbolized by the water of Shiloh, you know, which is a spring in uh, Jerusalem that wells up to provide water. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a picture of God's gentle provi- provision. Uh, in providing water, instead of you know maybe like a river, water that's fast flowing. So instead of trusting God and His gentle provision, people rejoice over Rezin the king of Syria and Pekah the son of Remaliah the king of Israel. They rejoice over these kings being driven away by the Assyrian. You know the Assyrian here uh, is like a raging river. Now, the Assyrians, which King Ahaz called on to help repel these attacks instead of asking God what his plan is for repelling the attack. Therefore, it says in verse 7, not only will God allow this ruthless Assyrian kingdom to remove Syria and Israel, sadly that their mighty army will also overrun like the river. Uh, it's capitalized here. It's talking about the Euphrates rivers here, uh, a mighty river flooding into uh, Judah. Ahaz's trust in king of Assyria ends up being a disaster for him. The image in verse 8 is like someone almost about to drown in rising water, reaching even to the next, it says there. The only reason that Judah is not completely overwhelmed is because this is Emmanuel's land. Here we see the word Emmanuel for the second time in our passages today. Emmanuel because God is with them. Even though King Ahaz failed to lead the people to trust God, the nation is still preserved. In verse nine and verse 10, it announces Emmanuel's future victory. That the enemies of God from near and far, even when they conspire together, will come to nothing. They will not stand. They will not just be defeated but shattered. And that shatter is mentioned three times in just those two verses. And and what is the reason for this future victory? The reason is Emmanuel, for God is with us. It is the sign that Ahaz should trust God. It is the sign that people of God should trust him. And it is still the sign that you and I should trust God. This is what the angel of the Lord said to Joseph as it recorded in Matthew Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Jesus is God becoming man to dwell with us. He did this to die on the cross, to save us from our sins. He would raise the life, defeating sin and death, as a sign that we should trust him, trust Jesus, who is God. So for all of us, believers and pre-believers, Christians and non-Christians, the second truth or principle I I want to highlight today is this. Emmanuel is a sign that we can be firm in faith. Emmanuel is a sign that we can be firm in faith. Friends, I have not trusted in Jesus. Will you believe the sign that Jesus is Emmanuel? Will you repent of trusting your own ability, own resources, or even trusting others that are not God? These things might, have, might give us temporary relief but ultimately we will all perish unless we have God with us the Emmanuel. Repent and believe in Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we too must examine ourselves. Do we live with the reality that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? Do you think that God is only with us on Sundays when you are here? Do you think because your situation is difficult and has not changed, or maybe it hasn't changed for a long time that God is not with you? Repent and believe in Jesus. This is the message of the gospel, not just for non-Christians. It is for us, especially when unbelief creeps into our minds, trying to tell us that God is not here. God doesn't care. It is not true. God is with us. Again, our second principle today, Emmanuel is a sign that we can be firm in faith. Let's continue to the last section of the scripture we have for today, starting in chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy, And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord holds him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock assembling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken." find out the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord a host, who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the medians and the necromancers who chirps and mutter, should not the people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So in this last section, God told Isaiah, and as we see in verse 16, seal the teaching among my disciples. This is also for teaching to all God's disciples. God tells Isaiah, and also to us, how to be firm in faith. The Lord warned Isaiah in verse 11 not to walk, in the ways of the unbelieving people and he said this specifically in two ways number one he says n- not believing in their conspiracy or conspiracy meaning theories made up by humans and in, in, in other words believe god so what are some signs that god what are some things that god has said to us now, this is something i think is very personal for each of us. You need to be with God and listen to what he says to you through his word, through the Bible. You know, for me and Anita, before we moved to Shanghai, God spoke to us through uh, Mark 1 verse 38. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. For us, we were in a difficult season at that time, in another town, and had waited for over a year before God affirmed us that it's time to leave. And when we first moved to Shanghai, you know, preaching was the last thing that was on my mind. But looking back, God has brought us here to preach the word. I don't know exactly what word God will have for you, but he will. Be firm in faith by believing God's word for you. The second way of not walking the ways of unbelieving people is this. Number two is no not to fear, not to fear, or be in dread of what they fear. Verse 13 says, fear and honor God instead. This is so interesting that in verse 14, that God will become both a sanctuary for the believer and also a rock, a stumbling for the unbelievers. So honor God as holy because we will, he will shelter us in his sanctuary. He will shelter the believers in his sanctuary. But we should also fear and dread God because he will cause unbelievers to stumble and be broken. So what are things that we dread and we fear? So what are some things that maybe we dread and we fear? Is it uncertainty? Is it maybe insecurity. Fear and honor God in the midst of uncertainty and insecurity means we wait and we hope in God. Now this is what verse 17 tells us if you look there. You know, for God's good reason, he has hidden his face. You know, as verse 17 says, a lot of time during our uncertainty and our insecurity, and so we need to wait and we need to hope in God by keeping our faith. The third and last truth or principle to highlight for us today is this. Being firm in faith means putting hope in Christ. Being firm in faith means putting hope in Christ. What are some things you are still waiting for that your heart is set on? You know, some things that you are waiting for and placing your hope in. Is it maybe waiting to graduate, perhaps? Waiting to find a job? Waiting to be healed of a disease? Maybe waiting to be married? Waiting to have a child? Waiting to retire? We are waiting for many things, but let me ask us. Are we waiting for Christ? We know that Emmanuel prophesied by Isaiah was pointing to Jesus Christ. Jesus came accomplishing his work on the cross and ascended into heaven. Christ told his his disciple that he will return again. And this is what we are all waiting for now. We are placing as believers our hope in the return of Christ. This hope should enable us to endure this life, endure the many distress and disasters. But not only waiting for Christ's final return, we should also be waiting daily for Christ to work in our immediate lives. He is with us means he will show himself at appropriate times, during our week and during our days. When he seemed to be hiding his face like, Verse 17 says we need to trust that God has good reason to do that for our training and for our good. Again, the last principle for today is this. Being firm in faith means putting hope in Christ. Part of this hope is also also means we will inquire of God, as verse 19 says. We'll ask God questions. We'll ask God for explanations. We ask God for help. It won't necessarily mean that God will give us the responses that we want, but in inquiring or asking, it shows that we are hoping in Him. We're looking toward Him. We should obviously inquire through prayers, but there are other ways as well. We can inquire through reading God's Word, like I mentioned before. We can also ask other brothers or sisters if they are believers, the Holy Spirit resides in them to give us counsel. One more resource I would suggest is also reading good books on questions that you might have. You know, maybe it's something, like, how do I minister in my workplaces? Maybe it's how can I bless my non-believing family? Maybe there are questions on sexualities. You know, you can check out a book table You know, you can ask Gabe, our deacon of books, for suggestions, or you can come ask me or text John um, for other materials or books to recommend. Even if we cannot find something or we don't know something, we can definitely look for resources. But we also see in the, the passage, the opposite of inquiring God is when people inquire mediums or necromancers. Necromancers, I didn't know the term, are basically like wizards. Mediums are people who claim to be able to talk to the dead. So as I say, why would you ask these people who ask the dead for information? It doesn't make sense when you can ask God himself who is the living God. For us, who are these mediums or necromancers or wizards? Maybe they are astrology or zodiac signs that we consult. Maybe they are Baidu or YouTube, that we go to ask questions. Maybe there are moments and social media influencers that we look to. These could be fun things to read or ideas to reference, but when you need to make a decision or choose a direction, why would we not ask our God? We should ask our God who is living and who is with us. Finally in verse 20 to 20 through, 20 to 22, because of God's people's disobedience, God's judgment does come. The people are eventually sent into exile, greatly destroy uh, distress and in darkness, like how the verse is describing. And this is how our passage ends today. Very glo- gloomy. Perhaps it is a little bit like our world now, quite gloomy. Still dealing with a pandemic that doesn't seem to end. There are wars, taking lies, and making people hungry. People are against people, nations against nation, in political conflicts. And we are caught in the middle of all of this. So I believe all the more important is the message for us today. Be firm in faith, for God is with us. But we should conclude. Our main idea today is, be firm in faith, for God is with us. And the three truths or principles actually answers three questions. It answers when we should be firm in faith. It answers why we should be firm in faith and answers how we should be firm in faith. So I hope we can remember these three takeaways. The when, when our hearts shake, be firm in faith. When our hearts shake, be firm in faith. The why, Emmanuel is a sign that we can be firm in faith. Emmanuel is a reason why, and it's a sign that we can be firm in faith. And lastly, the how. Being firm in faith means putting hope in Christ. Being firm in faith means putting hope in Christ. So remember how I told you about the tornado warning we experienced in Michigan this summer? We ended up waiting in the hallway in the middle of the house on the first floor away from the, all the windows. And within about half an hour, you know, there was a Thunderstorm of heavy rain, but no tornadoes. We were fortunate there was no damage to the house or anything, but the following day, we drove through another town close by and we saw some large trees, uh, some large trees being broken and knocked down. It was still shocking to see the power of these, these storms. Anyway, part of the tornado warning told us to be in the interior room on the lowest floor, away from the window if we're in a sturdy building. The second part of the warning says, if you are in a mobile home, a vehicle, or outdoors, move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris. So what is the difference between these two? Why in a sturdy building, you just go to the lowest floor, but in a mobile home, you need to leave and move to a substantial shelter? Well, the difference is a sturdy building will have a foundation, whereas a mobile home does not. In a tornado, you have a much greater chance of survival if you're not taken up into the air. A sturdy building with a foundation has a much greater likelihood of staying on the ground versus one that does not. For a Christian's life, Jesus is that sturdy foundation. When the tornado of life comes, and surely will come, and will come again, We can be firm in faith for God is with us being our sturdy foundation. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to be God with us. You know that there are many things that causes our hearts to shake, causes our spirits to be downcast. Lord, we ask that you would hold us fast in those times that we feel like falling apart. Help us to remain firm in faith, to know your presence, and to wait for you. We desire to grow and mature and be a channel of blessing to others, but we need your help. So it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.